My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The and The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Warning. The Decision. The Spell Departure. The Sickle Discovery. The Proposal. The Threat. The Mutation. The Spiracy. The Illusion. The Deception. The Suspicious Resistance. The Extreme Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. The unknown. And my name is Margot. Yay! Hi, Margot. Yay, Margot. Welcome. Hey. We're so happy to have you. I'm happy to be here. I am this podcast's number one fan. It's true. She was the first person to ever listen to our recording. And yeah, she's a huge fan. Mm-hmm. Also, we would like to clarify, Margot with a G. It's not yes. Marco. We will try to make it distinct. There was a Marco in my Sunday school class growing oh. up, and it was very confusing. Yeah. Mm. People just don't enunciate. Nope. So, Margo, what is your experience with Animorphs? Basically none. (laughs) (laughs) So you've come to the right place. (laughs) Yes. Perfect. Um, I did not read them as a child because I saw the covers and assumed that they would scare me. And they would have. That's probably true. You're right. Um, Good job. Very smart child. And I read the first one for our young adult book club and kind of hated it. But I have loved listening to the podcast. Yay! And I'm very much enjoying hearing the stories. And I I loved this book. <laughs> it was great. So are you here today because of this book? Or is it like what what brought you here for this episode? Not as I say as if I don't know. What a great question, Jenny. <laughs> Thanks, Margo. Um, I'm here because, uh, well, as your number one fan, I obviously wanted a chance to be on the podcast. Of course, of course. But we, we decided on this book specifically because I was a fantasy kid growing up, um, and I read a lot of Tamora Pierce, and one of my favorite series was the ones that I call Wild Magic, but are in fact the Immortals series. Sure. But the, the Wild Magic ones. Yeah. Um, in which the main character turns into animals. And I, I thought we should choose a book that, like, had similar animals that they turn into, um, and the yeah, horses. So, like cockroaches. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. All, like, all I those I love classics. that book where, where yeah. Dane turns into a cockroach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Good fantasy. Yeah, and the, um, the bear-snake thing. Yeah, all, it's all there. <laughs> all the classics. No, um, the big ones that she does are horses and wolves, both of which are represented in this book. That's true. Yeah, so... So, Margo, you really liked this book. I also it was really liked this book. I think I was, like, in my memory, I was like, oh, 14 was, like, kind of dumb. No, I loved it. I mean, it was kind of dumb. It was dumb. very dumb. And also, <laughs> I liked it, too. I think it's not quite as good as 12. It, it was interesting reading them in order. It had the same kind of sitcom feel where, mm-hmm. like, things that would normally be, like, oh, my God, the stakes of the Animorphs have been shattered forever. Like, yeah. humans seeing an Andalite or right? talking to a random stranger yep. with thought speak. Oh, my God. You know, that kind of stuff happens. And, you know. It's not a big deal. There are no consequences. Right. Yeah. Cassie getting run over by a tank is kind of just <laughs> a fun thing that happens. I, I just kept thinking, is this an episode of Scooby-Doo? Yeah. Yes, it is. It's, yeah. It is an episode it of is. Scooby-Doo. <laughs> the other thing this book did that I thought was weird was there's a lot of weird foreshadowing where she like kind of says what's about to happen Uh or she's like but what we didn't know is which Mm -hmm. is 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 that like lazy writing like i don't know know. it's a weird it's it's not something that i feel like the animorphs books have done a lot it's true it kind of fits the silly tone and i think it's also like 
in a book where the stakes are relatively low, it's like, no, wait, but it is going to be interesting. Mm. It does, exactly. It sort of feels like it's like, no, don't worry, evil horses are coming. Oh, don't worry, it's not going to be <laughs> But they season. weren't that yeah. evil. Right. <laughs> I mean, the horses were very evil, or the Yerkes were. The horses were evil. We didn't even get to that part. <laughs> anyway, should we talk about what happened? Yeah, let's hear what happened. All right, let me give a quick summary then. So Cassie and Rachel go with Cassie's dad to tend a sick horse that's out of town. The horse belongs to possibly Helen, who is a quote-unquote crazy lady who lives on the outskirts of town. The horse is crazy, but it turns out it's actually a controller horse. And the wilderness area where it lives is on the outskirts of Zone 91, which is just Area 51. They go to the mall, Cassie gets a new outfit, and the Animorphs decide to check out Zone 91. So they morph into birds and fly out there. Marco, Rachel, and Cassie get captured um, and interrogated by this guy, Captain Torelli. Then they morph cockroaches to get out. They meet a bunch of horses who are acting weird and realize that part of this herd of horses, they're actually controllers. And so the Animorphs need horse morphs to get close to them. So they decide to get the horse morphs by going to a racetrack. They almost get caught. Cassie morphs into a very fast racehorse, accidentally gets entered into a race somehow, and ends up winning. Everyone else somehow also acquires a horse in the confusion. (laughs) They morph into the horses, get onto the base, figure out how to get past the Air Force, and realize they have no idea what that thing is, and neither do the Yerks. Axe, turns out, does know what that thing is, (laughs) and it's an Andalite Porta body. And that is very funny. They leave and they're like, oh, I guess that wasn't all that important until Cassie realizes that the Yerks are going to infest the Air Force while they're on an away day at the amusement park. So the Animorphs go to the amusement park to try to protect the Air Force and save (laughs) Captain Torelli from being uh, infested. And everyone at the amusement park just thinks they're part of the parade. And it's a very silly book, you guys. <laughs> and Visser 3 decapitates a, a daffy duck. A daffy duck. <laughs> and also a horse. I mean, it's just there's a, there's a surprising oh, amount of decapitation for uh, the Animorphs. Book. There's a really wonderful line where Cassie says, We had done some very important things as Animorphs. We had fought some terrible and vital battles. This wasn't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> See, when I was reading this... I, I remember the it's an Andalite toilet punchline. Yeah. I did not remember anything about the amusement park at the end. And it was so funny. It was, it was so good. This book, Although also not how log flumes work. They would have died. No. They, they really died. would have died a lot. That was scary. <laughs> so the log flume thing is they don't know where the Yerks are going to infest these people from the Air Force. And so they split up. Half of them go into this like haunted house type thing and the other half go into the log ride both of which kind of are dark and the yurks could possibly take people over but they're like fully convinced that it will be one of these two places at a very large amusement park not like i don't know the bathroom that's what what i said said. (laughs) because you're correct yes Yes. i well when she said that i was Mm. like yes you and gray are going to agree on how much better yurks you would be than the actual yurks very good yeah, they the planet would be strategy. fully taken over by now if Gray and I were in charge. That's so true. <laughs> so they're in the log flume. Captain Trelli recognizes them. They dive so off delightful. the side of the log flume into the water and get, like, with the current from the log flume, go over the waterfall and manage to survive all of this. And which Captain is- Trelli comes, too. He also jumps out <laughs> yes. of the log flume. <laughs> yes, A naturally. fully grown adult man. <laughs> Yelling. In the military. Things after them, like, you darn kids. <laughs> so funny it's amazing i do i think one edge that this has over 12 much as i love 12 uh maybe even more than this one is that 
it gives them a proper Scooby-Doo villain. Mm. Like, <laughs> you know, in, in the past when they've had like vaguely silly adventures, like the thing with the skunk in book nine, it's been Visser 3 as their main opponent. And that doesn't work all that well because Visser 3 is like supposed to be scary, not like mm-hmm. silly. And, right. And it weakens him as a villain if he's silly too often. And so in this book, they did a great job of giving us a different, very silly villain. <laughs> It's very silly. Though Visser 3 does not come off as that intimidating because as Margot said, he deca- he Daffy Duck startles <laughs> him in the in the parade. He decapitates Daffy Duck and then the girl in the mascot costume pokes her head out of Daffy Duck's <laughs> neck and Visser like, 3 moans in fear because he doesn't he says what kind of creature is this and runs away. Has like a smaller head inside a larger one. <laughs> That was a wonderful moment. There was so much playing with like different levels of seriousness and like the juxtaposition, like the cognitive dissonance of like these incredibly actually scary alien invaders being in the middle of this park, uh, this amusement park at this parade. And like they're actually legitimately fighting these Yurks, like probably Hark Bajira dying because they always do. Mm-hmm. And it's and then people started applauding wildly without even noticing we've been swept up into the parade, we'd become part of the show. And the people loved it. Yeah, the crowd says, yay, and Mm -hmm. cool, which is, I feel a little bit seen because that's how I appreciate these books about teens in war, but I think it's just meant to be silly. They also were having a fight in the um, haunted house part, and the mm-hmm. pe- the boats kept co- or the cars like, kept coming through, part. and they were like, "Wow, this part is so great!" <laughs> also, the plan inside the haunted house. Oh so we follow God. Cassie through the log flume, and she gets to the house of horrors later. But for some reason, the Yerks have decided that their plan is they're going to just freeze in place in an empty part of the ride and wait for Captain Torelli to come by so they can just grab him. So all the work here and Visser 3 are frozen in place. But what's even better is that the other Animorphs have anticipated their plan. So Rachel as a grizzly bear with Tobias on her shoulder and Axe as a snake, like on the floor there, are also frozen in place. Yeah, no, I think, or like wrapped around her neck or something. It was very know. like... Yeah, so, they're, they, so they were like, oh, we figured out the York's plane, so we're going to freeze in place first. Which doesn't make any sense. Why <laughs> do you have to wait? None of it makes sense. It's so silly. Oh. Yeah. I do like, I feel like a different version of this book could have taken that sort of meta commentary on like all of us cheering at this actually violent fighting mm-hmm. and like taken it to a dark place and like, I'm kind of glad this book didn't. Like, this series does go to so many serious places and it's funny that we've had like only one book apart had these two very lighthearted sort of breaks from the serious action, but I do mm-hmm. think they're important. Although, again, much of the violence is just silly, but a bunch of hork die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Despite all that we've learned about the hork yeah, they are still just mass casualties in this war. And some horses, too. Some innocent, but perhaps evil horses. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, we don't find out if any horses are actually evil. <laughs> Uh, we should take a moment to remember the employee of Zone 91 who's allergic to horses, who yes, probably, probably went into anaphylactic shock. Also the employee probably... of Zone 91 who was in the hangar with the super secret thing, eating yogurt. And <laughs> 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 then she dropped it. What's she going to eat now? <laughs> you don't have a break room? <laughs> she was just carrying her yogurt from the break room to her private office. Maybe, maybe. So I would like to think that the the employee who's allergic to horses, it's probably just like, you know, how some people are allergic to cats. Like, they're mm-hmm. going to sneeze. They're not going to go into shock. Yeah. 
It's not like he's eating. Uh, no anaphylactic. Oh, yeah, I know that was like the real concern. I just think if you're if a horse is running into your workplace, <laughs> I don't think you're going to shout help. I'm allergic to horses unless it's a real emergency. That's true. Oh, that's a good point. You yeah. you might be right. Maybe you're afraid of. Actually, to be fair, I have a friend who I found out this weekend is deathly afraid of horses, which I found out because Bear. the wedding we were at had a horse-drawn carriage, and she was like. Sweating. Oh, no. Did she, she shout and interrupt the she wedding and say, "Help! I'm afraid of horses." <laughs> but they weren't running at her. Yeah, I mean, I That's would true. be afraid yeah. of horses if they were running at yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, they're really scary. Several times, horses run at people in this book, yeah. and it's very reasonable that they would. People would. Yeah, I'd be terrified. I would also like to just mention very quickly that as they're thundering into the hangar and someone yells, "Help!" and allergic to horses, <laughs> someone else yells. What the blazing Hades is going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to do the voice. Oh, what's uh, the voice? Oh. I, I don't know. There's got to be a voice, though. Uh, this person is going to be Southern. What the blazing Hades is going on here? That was. That was. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you got It's like the like what in tarnation, right? It's like right. what in the blazing Hades is going on here? <laughs> Thank you, Ted. That was amazing. <laughs> I'm cutting my attempt. That while we're terrible. doing while we're doing voices, go on. Yes. The the horses have not not only are they evil, but they've been fitted with primitive what? voice modulators. Yeah, the, so the they Yerks can, got on sale. The, the Yerks got on sale at the um, so that they can speak Galard to each other. Yeah. Why? And so while the animorphs are incognito as horses, they're pretending to be wild horses hanging out with the Yerks who are horses. The Yerks mm-hmm. are just talking to each other like, Olak Vimmel Volantigal, call his Philos. Y'all hell him, Vimmel child, kill him flat. <laughs> okay, but if they're like simulators and they were on sale, do you think maybe there's not much potential for vocal like inflection? Like maybe it was more like, Olak Vimmel Volantigal, call his Philos. It, maybe that's true. Yeah, yeah. But add add Yalan. some horse flavor to that. Yeah. <laughs> that's less robotic. I don't know how to do both. What does right. a robot horse sound like? We did get okay. some good horse noises at the racetrack. Yeah. Written out. Also, Cassie, when she was a horse, kept thinking "yeehaw," and I was like, I feel like that's more donkey. Or cowboy. cowboy. Well, maybe she thought she was at a rodeo. Like Gray predicted, you were so close to correct. Aww. I did say rodeo. I should have said racetrack. You should have said racetrack. Oh. But like, it was, you know, Cassie morphed a horse. Yeah. And um, in this, she did actually win. But that's because Marco wasn't on her back. And if Marco had been on her back, she would have dumped him off into a bucket of water. But it was a regular jockey, so yeah. so they won. Who too. was remarkably chill about <laughs> the fact that his horse was talking to him. I mean, what are you going to do? There's a race. You can't, you can't do it. You can't back out. Show must go on. I did particularly appreciate the jockey because she speaks to him in the horse morph. And at one point, she's like, just let me do it okay. And he's like, okay, talking horse. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That's yeah. how you should respond in that situation. That is exactly correct. Do what the talking horse says. Mm-hmm. That's what I've always done in such situations. Can we go back to Zone 91 for a second? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Can We're we going to have to spend some time. Inside there. security. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So several questions. I'm going to list them and then we can oh, please, talk about it. Okay. Okay. They have wild horses <laughs> everywhere on this military base. Yep, yep. And no one thinks twice about it. They don't have a fence. No fences. No, mm-hmm. just no sternly fences. worded signs. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's one thing. Uh, 
Second thing, how did they know that the kids were in the bush when they when they morphed back? Oh, the first time. The they first time, them. because I don't think they have like radar or anything, and they clearly maybe they don't were just have patrolling. Maybe they were patrolling. They were like on some rocks. But I feel like Tobias would have seen them. them. Tobias was sitting on the rock next to them for some reason. Ugh. Tobias should have been in the air. Useless. But he should have seen them coming. Their yeah. camouflage is not going to be that good. But so I they guess... must have landed right next to like an underground bunker or something. <laughs> maybe. Well, they were on some rocks that I think had some like trees and shrubs around yeah. them. So maybe they were blocked from view. They very much say we found a bunch of rocks that prevented us from being seen from any angle. So oh, right. So then how maybe did they soldiers get seen? heard them? While they were patrolling silently. It's very because <laughs> the plot needs it to happen. Oh. It's one of those um, moments where we get foreshadowing. The plot yeah. compels them. Okay, and then, so accepting the conceit that these children <laughs> cannot tell us where they live or it's what California. their last names are. Yes, I understand <laughs> that it is California. Are they using a pseudonym for Zone 91? Or is Zone 91 a real thing in the world of... So is it actually Area 51? Oh. Or are there two? Or are there two? Or, like, they're they're talking a little too much about this extremely well-known conspiracy theory point. place that is exactly two hours from their house. Wow. Okay, you know, I feel like they do this kind of thing a lot. Yeah. And it does sort of blow holes in the conceit of the books where they're not going to give us identifying information. Mm-hmm. Because you're totally right. That if this is the most famous, like, the biggest secret on earth it would be pretty easy to trace where it is and then they're within two hours of that but also the yurks are invading this very specific town true. and if the yurks know where they themselves are that's also whole, true i'm not sure this is a bigger security breach than saying that the yurk pool is underneath their school right when you put it like that <laughs> i do really like the idea that this is just like the small town rinky dink version of Area 51 oh. that only the people in like this part of California know about. And they're like, oh, Area 51, that's all fake. But Zone 91, that's all real. It's big I enough love... to have a souvenir shop, though. Exactly. I loved how Marco, like, how into this Marco mm-hmm. was. <laughs> Considering, as is pointed out multiple times, he knows about the real aliens. So I, mm-hmm. for children who have interacted with multiple species of aliens, they're uh-huh. pretty skeptical about the existence <laughs> of aliens. <laughs> it's oh, true. Are they, though? Yes. They're all like, Marco, it's all just conspiracy theories. You sound oh. silly. <laughs> and he's like, but we've met aliens. And they're like, but Earth is just a little planet. There's no way other aliens have also <laughs> come to this planet. Yeah. okay, but they have. The Andalites came to Earth and invented computers, right? The script not is that (laughs) the Andalites came to Earth and invented computers. Elfangor created all modern operating systems, right? And the Skritna have been abducting people, right, and doing Mm -hmm. experiments on them. So they are actually Area 51 style aliens. So the the guy Pemelites arrived. The Pemelites are here. The Time Matrix was buried here for tons of years. grandfather the grandfather at the end tells his kid oh yeah i got abducted years ago but they weren't anything like those he probably got abducted by skritna yeah medical experiments they shouldn't be so skeptical i agree poor helen who gets called crazy helen Mm -hmm. well she calls herself crazy helen and they also call her that yes yes she does the dad says she calls herself that but we shouldn't call her that which is correct there is a lot of mental health language in here yeah i would like to talk about that at some point um but first, please. But go first, um, I would like to point out one of the ways that Marco knows about 
Zone 91. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, it's the holy grail of conspiracy nuts. Man, don't you ever go on the internet. The internet <laughs> is full of people who think there are aliens at Zone 91. It's called, in all initial caps, the most secret place on Earth. Amazing. And Rachel replies, I go on the internet. I just don't hang out in chat rooms, call myself stud boy, and try to convince people I'm an incredibly handsome 30-year-old millionaire. So Marco is on chat rooms catfishing people <laughs> yeah. in the 90s. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. actually a little bit impressive. What does he, he actually go by? <laughs> Excuse me, Marco said. I do not use Studboy as my screen name. Give me some credit. I use Baldwin Boy 5. You know, the missing fifth Baldwin brother, the really cool looking one. <laughs> I love that touch so hard. <laughs> it's just so silly. It's so there's amazing. a lot about Marco that sometimes is not great, that is on display here, but also I love him in this book. Mm -hmm. He is hilarious. I, as usual, do not like him. I, yeah, I mean, like, I recognize that a lot of things he does that are funny are also, like, reflect problematic things, but he is not being directly sexist towards anyone in the group, mostly, and so I'm more tolerant of his, of his uh, humor. He's birdist towards Tobias. He, but yes. it's only it's he only a joke to, to break friendly. the ice, and then he gets yeah. down to business. So yeah. I actually was surprised at how much I identified with Marco. <laughs> Is it because it's not because they're the same? Okay. No, I just felt like um, I I use especially like in high school and stuff. Mm -hmm. I like used humor in in the same way that he does. Mm -hmm. Where I was just like, I am very uncomfortable in this situation, so I'm gonna be ridiculous. <laughs> I have completely outgrown that. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. I feel that perhaps my animosity towards Marco is similarly driven by ah. feeling that. But also, he's just such an ass all the time. <laughs> I mean, he, he's particularly mean to Tobias. Yeah. And is he mean to Tobias in this? Absolutely mean to Tobias. He... The mouse joke was pretty bad. The mouse joke is very bad. I preferred you as a chicken, he says to him at one mm -hmm. point. He laughs for 10 minutes after Cassie gets hit by a tank. He finds that very Oh, funny. yeah. He laughs for that 10 straight up. minutes, he says. Why? Why are you I mean, that? again, maybe he's concerned about her, and it's his, it's like a nervous response <laughs> that he's pivoting into the other thing. But it's not this. It's not that kind of book, right? But, yeah, it's also, it's like a... I think it kind of fits the tone of the book. Like, he is yeah. very helpful in making this book as funny as it is, and his humor is wielded for that purpose. Mm -hmm. the, um, when when they get caught in the stable at the racetrack, and they're trying to say, oh, yeah, we're just taking care of our horse. Oh and he's God. like, yep, we've been feeding it cans of horse food all day. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. Was, in really, the future, all horses will be blue. It's like, why is your horse blue? Yeah, we like blue. Someday all horses will be blue. <laughs> I really liked when they were taken captive <clears throat> by uh, Captain Torelli. Well, I'm not going to call Captain Corelli because that is different. Or all different. My notes corrected his name to Captain Tortellini. <laughs> <laughs> so when they're taken Sorry, captive my by Captain Tortellini, uh, he is like deliberately. He's like such a troll. They're like Cassie and Rachel are like, oh no, we were just walking out. We don't know anything about this place. Nope. And Marco's like, so where do you keep the aliens? They're like, darn it, Marco. And then afterwards, you're, and I was reading that, I was like, oh man, Marco is just such a troll. He can't help himself. Mm -hmm. And then they leave. And Rachel's like, yeah, they would have just let us go if you hadn't like gone on about the aliens. And he's like, actually, no, they wouldn't have. Like, I, I needed to give them the impression that we were crazy conspiracy seekers. And I was like, oh, right, he's actually really smart. Like, this is what makes him a Slytherin, that he is able to, like, wield this personality trait of his in order to make people react to him in the way that he wants them to. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a very calculated thing. 
I think in her description of him, Cassie, in the beginning, Cassie says something like, he's always on, or he's like, his mm. mind is always going. Yeah. I identified with that, too. So, <laughs> staying on that scene, I'm so skeptical that Captain Torelli does not watch The X-Files. Right? If you work at Zone 91, in the 90s, you watch The X-Files, Yeah, you've right? at least heard of... Mulder yeah, people, anyone who you meet who <laughs> and Cindy does Crawford. not work with you. Yeah, okay, so it's possible he's just very, very obtuse. But okay, my favorite but thing about that... But then how did he become head of security at Zone 91? Maybe it is a commentary on Zone 91 and or the military. Yeah, the military, the Air Force in this is a bunch of bumbling idiots. <laughs> also, no, wait, no, no, this, this has to be true because the Animorphs learn in this book that the United States government knows about the existence of aliens, right? True. Which should be a huge game changer unless no one really thinks it's real aliens and this is just kind of like a, a stupid detail that you get sent to That's if you've true. really so kind of flunked out of military yeah. school. So this might be like really scraping the bottom of the barrel of the Air Force because Zone 91 is a joke and everyone knows it. It's yeah, just no, some piece of trash. Security is really tight though. <laughs> they we got, just talked yeah. about the horses. And okay, the not for horses, <laughs> but for children spontaneously appearing in the bushes. That's true. Well, they They're found really them, didn't it. they? Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. Um, I was going to say, so Captain Charlie is so ignorant of pop culture references. And yet, at the end, I guess maybe he didn't come up with this name, but he does seem to be in charge. Uh, they name their, their fake name for their company is Gondor Industries. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which, because he's so ignorant of pop culture references, and I'm going to assume he doesn't only know, like, Lord of the Rings, very nerdy references, because he doesn't know X-Files. He clearly didn't pick that, being like, oh, a funny, like, play, uh, like, Lord, we'll use a Lord of the Rings word. So I'm pretty sure that Applegate just wanted to use that word and was like, no one will recognize this, you think? <laughs> yeah. It was before the movies. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, that's my theory. The, um, but the captain is, he's a messed up dude, mm -hmm. right? You're like at the amusement park with your wife and like maybe kids or something. And then you see some, you see some, you see Marco or whatever. And you start. Like, I know those kids. Yeah. You start yelling at him. And then even earlier. So like Jump they give the him, they give him fake names and fake phone numbers. Cassie, bless her heart, writes down <laughs> the numbers one, one through eight, 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 eight in order. I was like eight. You gave him eight numbers. That's his problem. Oh but, okay, one, he doesn't notice it right away. Yeah. Huge, huge flag there. But then he comes running back after he finds out. He calls Pizza Hut, which yeah. is the number Marco gave him. And then he comes running back shouting, I'll show the little monsters Pizza Hut. It's like, what's he going to do? Beat them up? It's terrible. He's going to take them to Pizza Hut. Yeah. He also oh, says that. He was saying it very in a friendly way. Yeah. Okay. He ordered the pizza while he was on the phone. Yeah. He's also terrible interrogation. Um, <laughs> Cassie can't come up with a fake name. And he's like, oh, okay, Cindy Crawford. Okay. <laughs> I she love Rachel Barkle being like, you gave him Cindy Crawford? She's like, you guys gave him the X-Files characters. She should have been Monica Reyes. Keep with the X-Files theme. Well, she oh. says she doesn't know she the X-Files well enough. To remember uh, any other characters. Cassie should be watching the X-Files. Yeah. What She's are her parents busy. doing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what was your reaction to the toilet <laughs> revelation? Was it glee or disappointment? Glee. Glee. <laughs> My favorite and like something I really remembered is like, okay, so they leave. They're like, the Earth's don't know what it is. I guess we won't know what it is. You know, they gets distracted. Mr. Three shows up and... They're like, I guess we'll never find out. And Axe is like, why won't you find out? <laughs> that was... That, that actually... 
actually, that whole exchange kind of annoyed me because he had clearly been saying, yes. hey guys, I know what it is. They forgot when I guess the mystery so. showed yeah. up. It really overshadowed everything. Yeah. And then he gives his explanation and it is amazing. And I think, I think my favorite thing is for about a full minute, no one said anything. Then Marco spoke. You're telling me the most secret place on earth, the fabled Zone 91, the holy grail of conspiracy nuts, is hiding the secret of an Andalite toilet? Only a very primitive model, Axe said condescendingly. Since those days, there have been huge technological improvements. <laughs> what technological improvements do you make to a toilet? <laughs> a lot. You clearly have not been aboard a dome ship recently. It's true. I have not. The no. last one I was on was They just ancient. had the old-fashioned toilet yeah. technology yeah. where they would use up the module and eject it into a star, Jettison but in. sometimes miss. Yeah. There's a. This was the book with all the poop jokes in it. The, yeah, uh, the pooping horse. Was it the only the Twice. only book with all the poop jokes in it? I feel like it's it's stood out in the fourteen animals <laughs> books we've. Well, there was the one where they so turned into flies and they just kept talking about poop, but they didn't mm. really encounter it. Cassie strategically poops to convince mm. Visser Three that they are real horses. It doesn't work, but no, it, it's does a, work. Uh, it does work, but it doesn't get the results that she wants. Like yes, he was convinced, yeah. but he's like, still kill them, right? Yeah. And then they don't shoot at them with. Dracon beams while they're running away for some reason. Yep. Which is mysterious. It's okay. (laughs) So I was, I probably just missed something in the beginning part, but what was the bug fighter doing there in in the very beginning? What a great question. And why was it shooting at a horse that was probably a controller? I was so confused. Okay. It doesn't really make any sense. Okay. There's no reason for the horse to be using a payphone. That doesn't make that's never explained. But I think Cassie's dad correctly says, Oh, that horse, it looks like it's been snake bitten. Right. And then yes. later, Visser 3 is like, we had that problem where yeah. what's their face got snake bitten. So what must have happened is the horse got snake bitten and evil pale stallion horse is like, mm-hmm. I let's blow up my poison friend. For some reason. Yeah, gotta erase the And, uh, you know, evidence. the Yurk escaped, but I don't know, maybe the Yurk crawled away into the desert? Or maybe it got vaporized? I think the Yurk got vaporized. But I think if they had modified the horse to, like, put in a speech box, then oh, they couldn't they have had it. a vet finding oh, okay. this sick horse. So I think when the Pale Stallion, which would be a great supervillain name, and I think, you know, Ooh. someone should write this comic, when Bad Horse, so to speak, finds... This uh, is bad horse. This horse, he probably goes and uses whatever communication device he or she has, and like calls the bug fighter and is like okay. gotta get rid of this evidence. I thought that the horse was trying to use the payphone because it had been bitten by a snake and was trying to call for help. I think that was true. I think that okay. was what it was doing. Do the Yorks have phone numbers? <laughs> well, your human controllers would have phones, probably, like in their yeah. homes. Or maybe even cell phones if they're really fancy. Ooh. Yeah. I gotta feel bad for whoever this Yurk is, Cardinals. though, because what they're saying is basically, this is the we. they know that this is the stupidest mission. The Yurks yes. hate what they're doing the whole time. They're like, <laughs> yeah, why are we in these dumb yes. horses? <laughs> Let's just get it done and get out of here. Yeah. Wait, this does raise some interesting questions about, like, what level of intelligence is necessary for a Yurk to infest a creature. Mm-hmm. Like, so far, we've only, I think, seen Yurks in sentient creatures. We saw the thing in Angelite Chronicles where, like, these creatures, like, aren't, their brains aren't sophisticated enough, so we couldn't infest them with, like, the Jarrix and Larix, the Pissers' mm-hmm. pets. And so there is some limitation. Evidently, horses are above them, which raises some danger for the animorphs. Like, if they get caught in animal 
morph, like some morphs, they could probably be infested and then the yurt could just make them morph. So like when Marco got taken as a gorilla in Megamorphs 1, Fisto 3 could have just put a yurt in his head, made him demorph. Yeah, yeah. for sure if horses can, then yeah. oh, gorillas can. definitely can. can. Dolphins, probably. Remember mean, our theory that yurks might get deleted if you demorph when there's a yurk in your brain, right? We're not totally sure how that works. That yet. is true. If you infest someone while they are in a morph, we're not sure how that would interact with. Well, only one morphing creature has ever gotten infested, so we don't know. Right, and he got infested while he was in his natural body, right. so maybe the yurk in his head is gone while he's in morph, but then he morphs back and like the yeah. yurk can escape and go into the... And, and presumably it's so my theory had been that yerk stays with you through transformation because mm. it's like clothes but on the inside mm. yeah if it's that right. closely but you're not wearing the clothes while you're in the morph right so if you put a tight t-shirt on marco in gorilla morph and then marco morphs back to human mm. he, in order to get the t-shirt back he would have to morph back to gorilla so that would be really inconvenient for the yerk to only be able to exit marco's head to, while he's in gorilla morph. So could you morph of them like carrying things mm-hmm. mid morph? No, no, they don't really mess around with them. We also don't ever see them do that like gorilla t-shirt thing. So because like when they're human and then morph gorilla and then morph back human, they're kind of going back into the same human body ish. I guess it's like constructed well, yeah, they're from getting, DNA, they're, but they can have clothes. They're getting their human body back from Z space. The but, morphs are coming out of their. They're being right. generated anew each time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It seems like if you when you morph a gorilla, it's more being generated new than when you morph your human body. Even though we have seen like Tobias morph back to bird and like his wing is healed, so you can heal things. But it's possible that if you infest a gorilla, that gorilla demorphs to human, the yerk is gone forever and is gonna die in three days when it runs out of Kentron armies. Maybe. <laughs> Gray is making it really intense. It would be a very slow way to kill off the Yerks. It would be a very I bad think strategy. Mr. Three would be willing to risk this oh, to infest oh, yeah. somebody in Morph. Yeah. So it, it's definitely a, a Mr. Three being dumb plot hole. Yes, that's true. Mr. Three, like, being a weirdly overconfident supervillain. Well, unless he has a, unless he knows something that we don't, which is right. that it won't work. Right. And, he, he, you know, it's not going to, he's not going to try it. Right. It's, it's definitely not going to work. But I would assume most mammals can be infested. I just think that yeah, it seems probably true. Yurks, yeah. yurks aren't that creative. Yurks aren't that creative. Above right? a certain yeah. size threshold, maybe. Right. And also, why would they? Right. Yeah. yeah. Not, if they're not going to get anything that they couldn't get from their slug body, mm-hmm. what's the point? Or they could just more easily take humans. Right. Yeah. And like there are communication problems. Like the yurks yeah. can't thought speak to other yurks, mm-hmm. um, even though they can like speak directly to the host's brain. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you'd have to like install voice boxes in these animals, and that's a mm-hmm. huge pain. Yeah. It would definitely be easier to invest invest something that had a voice and fingers. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like for the humans. Speaking of infesting humans, why was Plan A not just <laughs> infesting the uh, yeah you Zone ninety one? You'd think staff members Zone ninety one would sometime get leave go leave the base. The I don't think they would even them. have to leave the base. Like they, who knows how the Yurks get around when they're not in controllers? But like. They could get onto the base and just invest. I guess they were having trouble getting onto the base um, because security is so tight. So if you don't have any controllers on the base, yes. But if if I were uh a yerk, I would have a controller (laughs) with another yerk in it in your hand, yeah, in a baggie, captured, uh huh, yeah. Oh, and interrogated yeah. by the head of security. Yeah. And while I am alone in a room with the head of security, yep. 
I'd reach over and whack a yerk in his ear. I mean, I just don't think they're thinking. So easy. I really liked how Cassie lampshaded this, where she was like, what better place to grab some key people from Zone 91 and fill their heads with yerk slugs? Well, there are probably plenty of better places, actually. <laughs> Good point, Ken. And she's like, yes, well, yeah. this is impatient, and so I guess he's going to do it at this point. Yeah, the Yerks are definitely making things way more difficult for themselves yeah. than they need to. In general, anytime you're putting a voice box in a horse, <laughs> you probably missed a few steps. That's yeah, a yeah. classic sign you should read <laughs> your plan. There were so many parts of that endgame plan that I was like, the book kind of acknowledged <laughs> that it was ridiculous, but then also did it. It was like... There are many possible plans that the Yerks have, but I'm 99% sure <laughs> it's that they're going to go to the gardens. And then they go to the gardens, and... There are the Yerks. Uh, <laughs> there could be any number of places for them to, like, hide to try to infest these humans, but I'm pretty sure it's one of these two places. So Cassie's let's go to those two places. instincts are very reliable. Yeah. Her instincts save her... They do all of that. They save her from being... Dracon beamed at the very yeah. beginning. And they save them from getting caught mid-morph by the military because Cassie's like, why don't we just take, you know, relax a bit? And oh. then they get stumbled upon immediately. It's true. She does have surprisingly good intuition. Though, I guess the flip side of that is she sees the sign-up sheet for the gardens and then she's like, this looks important. I better not tell any of my friends about <laughs> yeah. it. Which I think this is like maybe the fourth book in a row where somebody yeah. has seen something and then thought to not mention it. Well, I think she didn't think it was important at the time. Right, 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 right. I yeah. like that she messed up the military time because I have done that. <laughs> this was that was this so was relatable. Where I learned how military time worked. Oh, I learned it from this book. Yeah, you just it was very subtract twelve. You actually have to subtract twelve hundred, but still, yes. <laughs> <laughs> subtract twelve. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Jenny. Thank you. <laughs> uh. But yeah, I enjoyed that. That was like a good method of like ramping up the pacing. Mm-hmm. Like they don't yeah, have time to sure. like go there and get into place and deal with yeah. all that tedium. They're like, oh no, the York's already here. Let's yeah. just dive into this. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yes. Put them into the water. I liked um, along the lines of the York's being absolutely terrible at planning and at prioritization worst. in this book. They're in the haunted house thing. They're fighting the Animorphs. We can't stay and fight, the viscer pouted. Much as I would enjoy destroying these vermin, we have priorities. Bring the human. This is like the thing in Nine that Jeremy pointed out. We're like, no, their number one priority should be defeating the so-called Andalite bandits. Yeah. yeah. Like, in, I guess in Nine, the whole point of the forest thing was to catch the Andalite bandits. In this, they kind of have a different goal. But, like, still the Andalite bandits have got to be more Maybe important. he's just running scared. He knows that they're going to skunk him up again, mm. you know, if he... If he's, <laughs> hangs out with them for too long. Have they had That's any kind point. of like prolonged interactions since nine? I think Ooh, he could be like seriously traumatized by his experience. Not in the only ones with in, 11, in 11, but it, it, that's time travel. And he also kills them all. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And he forgot about it. So we think. <laughs> we think. Mm. So it didn't give him confidence. So he's, uh, he, he hasn't faced off against them since nine. Wow. At length. Yeah. Since we're back to the House of Horrors, they're going through the thing and they have like ghosts popping out and like the Animorphs do not care at all. And then <laughs> someone on their part is like, why are you kids so cynical? And Mark is like, we watch a lot of TV. <laughs> but actually it's because they're child soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, kind of dark when you think about it. I really liked the thing where Cassie realizes she made her parents worry and she's like, oh no. 
I know what it's like now. I lie awake at night and worry about like Jake and Rachel and like all my friends and it's terrible. I don't want to do that to my parents. I was like, oh, she's being like so like forcibly matured by this this show. I love Cassie's also, parents Cassie's so parents. Oh my God. much. Yes. They proved my theory from book 12 right. That yes, yes they, they intentionally did. embarrass her to punish her. <laughs> nice is not neat and they know it. They know it. <laughs> They're amazing. Yes, it, it really reinforced the characterization of them as like, they, they both have like very intense sense of humor and they're like our very serious daughter. Let's just troll her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right, they're like, she's a cool kid. And earlier yeah. Cassie's like, I have cool parents, I guess. <laughs> so sweet. Good. The one thing that Cassie's dad does that is questionable is he thinks that the Air Force lost a bomb yep. or a missile or something <laughs> and then doesn't take his daughter to the hospital. Yeah. What's wrong with him? That's not a reassuring thing to say. Not at all. I was so upset by that. I was like, I'm sorry. You think it's totally normal that they lost a missile and it (laughs) blew up in front of your daughter? Disintegrating a horse? (laughs) That was a little like, they should have gone with a different explanation if they wanted to handle it that way. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, I just um, found this bit where, speaking of Cassie's parents, so Cassie's talking about Rachel and Jake. Rachel's my best friend, and Rachel's without, without a doubt the coolest person I will ever know. And Jake likes me, as in likes. I love it whenever they do that. Uh-huh. And he's the smartest, strongest, most balanced person I've ever met. Except maybe for my parents, who are cool, but in a parental way. <laughs> that was the most adorable thing. Very sweet. <laughs> very quickly want to actually read some of their mm-hmm. things. So she's home late. They're very worried. And uh, they've decided that the best way to punish her <laughs> for being home late is to embarrass just the crap out of her. And her mother says, you know, we have discussed your dating. And I thought we decided you were still too young. <laughs> and Cassie just like shuts down. <laughs> right. Because she originally says Rachel. And then she's like, oh, I can save it. I'll say Jake. And then she's like, no. <laughs> And her mom says, you're not, you know, basically not allowed to date. Um, her dad's lying. You're, you're a normally young girl. You have certain interests, certain <laughs> fascinations. And I would have been dead at this yep. point. Curiosity. <laughs> Cassie says, at this point I wanted to dig a hole right in one of your floor yep. and pull the rug around. Yep. And so she promises I'll never make you worry again. She goes to the kitchen. She tiptoes back to listen. And they're like, yeah, that totally worked. We have this really cool kid. It's really hard to punish her, so we'll just embarrass her very much. (laughs) They both laughed. Ha, ha, ha. Next time we can tell her we're going to have Jake and his parents over to discuss rules for their relationship, my mom said. As a backup plan, we could threaten to take her into Father Banyan for a family discussion about intimacy. That was my dad's suggestion. I was like, I would die. I would die. Oh, yeah. It's such a good threat. Even if they made it an explicit threat, like, they can follow through with that. (laughs) The best parents of all time. Should we talk about Rachel? Well, I just wanted to, you just read that quote where she talks about Jake and Rachel. I'm kind of annoyed that Rachel is pretty and cool and Jake is strong and smart. Because (laughs) I would like to say Rachel is strong and smart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's, I mean, I guess cool just encompasses all of that stuff. But you're right that, yeah. Rachel is, she is very cool in this book. She's very, well, I really like their friendship in this book. Like, you can see sort of the back and forth. Like, Rachel really gets on her case. 
so we got to see their friendship r- really on display in 12 and now we see it from Cassie's side yeah. and so I love that I love that it's been developed more since it wasn't really there for the first yeah. five or six yeah, books. They, so Rachel is really excited so she agrees to go out to see the, the horse um, because Cassie says she'll let her buy her jeans and Rachel buys not, her not like, just jeans a whole outfit yes Rachel right. buys her outfit. it's like it's the, if you give a mouse a cookie thing it's like yeah. well yeah. if we buy you jeans we're gonna have to get you a top <laughs> And then they go to school, and Rachel's, like, so eager yeah. for mm-hmm. everyone to admire Cassie's outfit that she pays Marco $2. You would have done it for one. <laughs> so, to go on about how great she looks. I would like to talk about that whole segment mm-hmm. very briefly. Please do. So Cassie wears the new outfit that Rachel picks out for her. And Rachel, as you say, Cassie refers to Rachel as the goddess of clothing and good grooming. One quick thing before I get into my actual point, which is at the beginning of this chapter, she says, I hooked up with Rachel before her first mm-hmm. period. Like, <laughs> my note was, hooked up has changed meaning. <laughs> Not what that means anymore. Okay, but she also calls them Zeta and Gabrielle. I know. Who are famous yeah. for having like a potentially. Yeah, I was going to say, is this is this opening new like fem slash doors here? I or is it, it just is. that Cassie is like totally unaware <laughs> at the reference she's making? And she's probably watched Zena all the time and doesn't get the I subtext at that, all. I that, but I don't know. I don't know we why don't you would shut the door slash. to the fem slash possibilities though. Although also I don't remember how early in Zena that relationship is developed as. I'm pretty sure that some people saw really those two beautiful women on screen together and said they're doing it. <laughs> I mean, it's fair. But it becomes like pretty strongly applied, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it very much is, but yeah. I wonder if this is like, early the, queer baiting. Right. Mm. That the, the book was published during season two of Xena mm. and it doesn't really become a thing, yeah. A thing until season four. Oh that's interesting. You know? When did Xena run? I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> Continue your conversation. Like, yeah. In the meantime, so they're walking down the hallway. All of the boys are Flirting with Rachel, mm-hmm. and then little do they know she has a bird boyfriend. She does. She does not meet any of these boys. No, and they all. Rachel goes, and also here is my friend. <laughs> Isn't she pretty? And they don't know her name, so they call yep. her, you know, Carla and Kendra and so on. Joe knows her name. Mm-hmm. Joe does know her name. <laughs> and what Joe says to her is, "I was I spotted a guy named Joe. Joe was a friend of mine from when we both took riding lessons together. So both mm-hmm. horse people. Mm-hmm. He would remember my name." Hey, Cassie. Whoa, something looks different about you. Rachel says, new outfit? Joe shook his head. No, that's not it. Oh, I know what it is. You look like you've gained weight. Have you been trying to bulk up? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut but also, up. is that a thing that middle schoolers would say to each other? Probably no, not. it's not a thing that middle school boys would say to middle no. school girls. It is... I was so fantastic. The only way that I can read this is as hopelessly earnest putting his foot in his mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think oh, that definitely. is. Yeah. He's not being Marco here. No. He's just, no. I don't know why he, I don't know why his head goes here, <laughs> but he must be mortified. Yeah. I hope so, because I was a real mad at Also, him. Rachel handles it very well. I love this. Yeah. Rachel reached with one elegant hand and pushed Joe disdainfully out of the way. That proves nothing, Rachel said. <laughs> I did really appreciate, I mean, it might not be totally realistic, but the extent to which Cassie's like, no, looks don't matter. I don't care about this stuff in a way that doesn't read to me as, well, I know I can't win at this looks game, so I'm just going to, mm-hmm. I'm just going to opt out. Like it didn't read to me as that. It read to me as like, she really thinks like other things are more important. Yeah. And I, I thought that was a really like a nice thing to show. I also feel like it is very at odds with the fact that like every single one of these books has told us how pretty Rachel is, mm-hmm. usually tells uh-huh. us how attractive uh-huh. Jake and Marco are. I think maybe the books need to learn this lesson a little bit. Yeah. Well, 
it's interesting because she says I'm not beautiful at the beginning. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, Cassie, of course you're beautiful. But um, she does get annoyed at the kid at the racetrack who misgenders her. That's right? true. So like, yeah. you yeah. know, she doesn't like being called like, a boy. Hey. She can, yeah. She's fine with being a, a short and stocky girl, but uh-huh. she doesn't want to be a boy. And I think one of the reasons that she's so very okay with it is that she's got Jake. She's got Jake. And yeah. she says, Jake's not an idiot. He's uh, Rachel says, he's the exception that proves the rule. And Rachel's trying to tell Jake, like, look, look at her new outfit. He goes, Cassie looks great. She always does. Oh, it's so nice. He doesn't very even nice. notice the outfit. Well Perfect done, say, yeah. Jake. I know. <laughs> well played. I thought um, the, the note I wrote about that scene was Rachel, something Rachel is vastly misunderstanding about clothes is you don't wear them for boys. <laughs> that boys is a good point. will never give a <laughs> shit Rachel about your clothes. You yeah. Would Before we move on, Xena came out in September of 1995. I don't know when this book came so out. So this is like season oh. three. Yeah, okay. 97-ish. Yeah, we do actually know, I mean, so it's been Late about 97. a year of books being released time, but we actually get a clue to the internal timeline of the series, which Ooh. I super noticed at the time oh. because I was obsessed that in this book, Jake's dad has his birthday. And in book six, he said it's his mom's birthday and it's his dad's birthday in two months. So it's oh. only been two months between. Wow. So I think in the last episode or in 13, I was like, it's probably been like a year. It's been two months between book six and 14. It's been probably about like four months total. This is still wow. super new. Wow. That's so true. It's, like, so it's just been like event after event. Like they haven't been able to catch a break. That's why in Megamorphs 1, Jake was like, let's go see a movie or something. Yeah. Right. Or I guess in eight, they finally managed to see a movie. No wonder they don't take the like horse thing seriously. They're like, we've just done like so many things. We just saved yeah. the Hork We just dealt with Jeremy Jason McCall. Yeah, right. This is like it's the week after the whole Hork Bajir thing, yes. which was like super serious, right? And so now they're, they're just like, okay, there are and, right, horses, and they think it's going to be serious. They think it, oh, it could be. You know, is yeah. this going to be the one time where we're like, nah, it's nothing, and then it comes back yeah. and it's a huge uh-huh. deal. So this is also the first book where. Tobias has had the power to morph and has been able to participate in the missions. Yes. He, the first time we see him in this book, he is in human form mm-hmm. in the mall, acting like a little uncomfortable because he hasn't been in this body, in this space for a while. What's sad is that he was probably also kind of an uncomfortable, awkward yeah. kid to begin with, right? But now it's like he's like squinty all the time because human eyes <laughs> yeah. are bad. Yeah, he expects people to see better. And now he has this group of friends that he like sort of fits in with, but he also is still a little bit of an outsider with them. And he doesn't really remember to make facial expressions because that's not a natural thing to him anymore. Right. And he can't relax because he's on the clock. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I want them to get him glasses that Rachel just carries around with her. <laughs> and then every time he's like well, with them in human war, she hands Are them. there glasses that will make you able to see like a hawk? Because, like, it's not that he sees badly for a human. I think he sees normally for a human. Sure, but if he, if they got a pair of, like, you know, like magnifying, particularly like, strong yeah. glasses, it might Why don't we all have those? You get headaches. Oh, okay. Mm, yeah. But she wouldn't have to worry about it. It's only two hours. He just morph out. Tobias also quotes Shakespeare. Yes. When they what find out. That? I love that. And it was Their mission is pointless. <laughs> I guess he's got a lot of time to read. Rachel brings him books. All and, right. uh, He's definitely, like, just reinforcing his his house identity as Ravenclaw. Mm. Quoting the Shakespeare. I just loved that so much. It was such a completely <laughs> bizarre thing. Like, just totally bizarre. But also so very sweet that in the midst of all of this, <laughs> it's, it's like, there's a tale told by an idiot. 
Well, sound and fury, sound and fury. nothing. Whenever I see that line, I think of this book. Aww. That has always, this book has always been my association with that wow. line. Interesting. There are a lot of things like that in Animorphs for me. Huh. That's why I know that line by heart. I wonder if I got it right. Maybe not. Tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Shakespeare. Yeah. Shakespeare. Yes, he, he gives. Uh... <laughs> I was gonna say it is kind of a cool move, but if you say Shakespeare, Shakespeare. it's pretty yeah. I had a couple more Jake and Cassie things. Oh, please, yes. Um, so first, there's the bit where they're on the flume ride together, and Jake's like, "Oh, it, we're about to get into this tunnel of love section, and we can escape then." And Cassie's like, "I wanted to ask about how he knew about a tunnel of love." But I stuck to business, <laughs> which is delightful. Yeah, and then can you imagine Marco sitting there listening to them have a conversation but, about how Jake knows? As we discussed before, there's trouble in paradise because when they're talking about morphing horses, Jake's like, "You morphed a horse once, and we know Cassie's been morphing that horse a lot." That's true. Jake still doesn't know, and Cassie doesn't even feel guilty about it. I'd forgotten. Whoa. You're so right. I liked. Just this is a Cassie Rachel thing again, um, where Rachel's kind of making fun of Cassie when they meet this woman who is called Crazy Helen, and Rachel's like, "Hey, it's you, Cassie. It's sixty or seventy years." And Cassie like kind of laughs and does, you know isn't really hurt by it. But then Rachel says, "Actually, Cassie, you'll end up running some big volunteer organization that saves unhappy chickens and whales or whatever." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that so like, much. That and then, great. but then Cassie takes it seriously. She's like, "I'd like to do that. I just don't know how I could treat both chickens and whales at the same time." <laughs> What kind of organization would do that, I wondered, seriously. Amazing. Yep, that is, yeah. Oh, Cassie. It was great. There was really a lot of great Animorph interaction here. Yeah, so much good stuff. I know, I know, Gray, you're not a fan of Marco. I, I really enjoyed his thing, like, think how cool it would be. We morph racehorses. And then he, like, doubles the money, like, 15 times or something in his head. And Rachel's like, how are you doing that? And he's like... Math is different when it's about money. Yeah. <laughs> so true. So true. Just like that. I will say, uh, speaking of relationships, we talked very briefly about Marco and Axe. Oh, oh yes. Go on. Uh, well, uh-huh. I was just going to say... Um, Protecting each other's butts. They do. They have each other's backs. And in but the middle, they specifically say butts. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, Marco uses Axe's snake morph like a bullwhip. Mm. Whoa. That, no, that's some collaboration. I love that very much. Snapping him into bite, yanking him back out. It. I feel like the. Does, the, does this, the other does this kill the snake? I just, <laughs> I just don't know. You would think. Apparently not. <laughs> Snakes don't get whiplash. <laughs> Marco is good at morphing out when his body is basically dead. Apparently, so. Mm, good point. I. So this was probably not an intentional thing in the books, but speaking of queer content, mm. we get Axe saying the line, "Is wood tasty? Is it good to eat?" Just want to put that out there. And Marco answers him. Yeah, but you want to use plenty of salt here. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> my non-gutter mind didn't even go there, Jenny. <laughs> so one interesting thing is when they're all like, oh, it's just an Andalite toilet. Okay, we'll just go home. And then Cassie's like, wait, but the Yerks don't know that. And it's an alien thing. So it can prove that aliens exist. It could like shift mm-hmm. the you know secrecy of the war or something. And she's, she's like, oh, no, the Yerks are going to go after these Air Force people. I was like, I guess it's le- like, I guess it's legit to be like, oh, no, the Yerks are going to infest these people. Let's protect them. Like, the Yerks are infesting people all the time. Right. 
are we particularly concerned? Like, there were no logistical reasons for them to be particularly concerned about these Air Force people. Mm -hmm. I guess it was more just that, like, we know the Yurks are going to try to infest these ones. Let's stop them. And it was kind of. I mean, they don't say this, but it kind of makes sense as, like, a. If we can keep the Yerks investigating Zone 91, they're wasting resources on a totally pointless and useless thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, if security's going to be tight, they're not going to give up. They're going to keep trying. You know, yeah. it doesn't... But are they going to try to defeat them every time or just this one time? It's just this one time. Okay. I know. Your, your point still stands. <laughs> yeah. But... It was a kind of thin excuse for, like, some pretty great wacky adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, very quickly, uh, they haul a lot of things. <gasps> yes. Mm-hmm. They, including hooves. They haul hoof. They do. They, they haul hoof once, they haul butt once, and then they haul once. Yeah, so there's a lot, there is, in general, a lot of, um, like, problematic mental health language in this book. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty emblematic of the time period. Yeah, it's Marvel all over the series. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely showed up before. And, I mean, they're talking about, like, potentially themselves, which maybe softens it. I mean, except for Crazy Helen, who does call Mm -hmm. herself that, and they sort of call out that maybe they shouldn't call her that. I guess it it feels a little softer. They're talking about themselves, not like someone else. But, no, Marco says, like, does anyone ever think? Maybe we've all just lost our minds. You know, like, maybe none of this is real, and we're escaped lunatics from the local hospital for the hopelessly wacko. That's just, like, not not a great way to talk about, like, Mm -hmm. mental health issues. And this is something that we've seen before, in both cases, it was an old woman on her own. Ooh, yeah. Who was correct mm-hmm. <laughs> and being called crazy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they by these people who kind of know she's correct. Right. And, yeah. and they don't have a lot of empathy for these people who are correct. Um, who are victims of the same war they're fighting. Well, cra- Crazy Helen is not exactly as connected to the years. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, probably, maybe, but maybe she was, you know, maybe she's seen a script now, like, she has yeah, a connection yeah, to yeah. aliens, and for them to be so unsympathetic to people who are, as I say, correct, I mean, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't matter, right, that people are deserving of our empathy, whether mm-hmm. or not they're right about it, but they happen to be right about it, and I find that yeah. very frustrating. Also, the animorphs are struggling with anxiety and post-traumatic yeah. stress-like sim- mm-hmm. symptoms. Yeah. And so the books deal with that, those themes pretty directly, but like the Animorphs themselves, it's not, I'm not sure how aware of it they yeah. are. And and to some extent, they're 13. I don't necessarily expect them to have a really well-rounded compassion for people who have different life experiences. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I actually expect the narration to have more of that. Right. Yeah, or to at least engage a little bit more with these characters. Like, I, I'm not sure that I had such a problem in... Like in Megamorphs one, where they meet the Rachel meets the woman in the woods. I mean, she didn't know the woman was correct for one thing; she lost her memory. But like, it felt like a very haunting portrayal of like someone like that. It didn't feel like they were making fun of her. And Rachel feels a little guilty for like playing up her delusion. I guess it's not delusions, but her confusion mm-hmm. and like getting the clothes from her. Um, this one was a little bit more lightly treated. Yeah, and and very unexamined. And again, I don't necessarily expect Cassie to say we should be kind to somebody who has seen aliens and has this deep connection to them because, hey, we are someday going to be the crazy people living in the woods like mm-hmm. who are talking about aliens all the time. But and she also like wouldn't want to engage with this person because it would be a risk. Right, but I think there's a way that I have higher expectations of Captain Applegate. Yeah. Of, yeah. of having a, a way of, of portraying this character that is, yes, people do not believe me and my experiences of aliens mm-hmm. and... That's fine, but I am aware that they exist, 
you may someday also be aware that they exist. Here, have a mug. And not have that piece that's like, yeah. you know, played for like, she's got all of these crazy alien things yeah. in her trailer. She must not be connected to the real world. It's like, well, yeah, but again, for the same reasons that it's weird that they're making fun of Cassie for... No, no, they're, they're teasing Marco. They're teasing yeah. Marco. Marco's like, there could be, could have been other aliens. And they're like, don't be ridiculous. There are only one kind of alien. It's right. like, you have personally met <laughs> yeah. more than one kind you of alien. You know that is not true. And yeah. similarly, I would almost expect, yeah. I would hope there would be more that, that she could do to say, there is another person who is aware. Mm-hmm. I kind of liked the thing where, you know, Crazy Helen laughs and it's sort of this like gentle knowing laugh and mm-hmm. Cassie's like, maybe she's just playing us. And I like, I really liked that layer. Yeah, there was that part, but then later, um, it gets really sad, but like it's still kind of played for a joke. So mm-hmm. if I can just uh, read this part, the government doesn't want us telling. They watch me. They listen in through the microchip they implanted in my head. They're listening right now. One of those black helicopters of theirs is listening in and transmitting everything we say to the New World Order headquarters in the Azores, which is where Atlantis is, you know. And it's like that that reference to Atlantis is clearly what's supposed to make it a joke for us. Mm-hmm. But that's really, I, I don't know. I, I always find descriptions of people who are paranoid, both scary and sad. And there's not a lot of sympathy extended to and her there's, for that. Yeah, there's no sympathy. They just stare at her, and then they change the subject. Especially considering she might be right. She is and right. That's there, the thing. Like the There's no acknowledgement of that. There it's could played well, as a joke. Right. There could well be something implanted in her head. She could be mm-hmm. a controller. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there is a giant black alien spaceship yep. outside of her window right then. Yeah, and we know true. that because yeah. it just, it just and, blows them up. Yeah. In the, um, I think it's in this scene, Rachel is like really boldly says, well, I don't believe in aliens, right? Which is, you it know, she's kind of a great line. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, it's a good line. She's playing a part, but it's also like, she doesn't have that empathy for like, yeah. you know, you, you, maybe you don't believe in the aliens that I know exist or whatever, right. but at least it's like knowing that aliens are real and not being able to tell people is actually pretty, it's really awful. something that they're yeah. dealing with. Yeah. Or not, not even knowing that they're real and not being able to tell people, but not knowing what is real. Mm-hmm. is the scary mm-hmm. part. Yeah. I wonder if, um, I feel like there are a lot of things in these books that like get glossed over and then eventually become more of a thing. I don't have specific memories about like whether this is going to be more of a thing, but like I feel like the stuff with like, you know, Killing Horfajir has like become a little bit complicated. Maybe it'll become more so. I wonder if this is something that'll be brought out in the future. Or if, the, I, I mean, maybe I'm just giving the books too much credit in saying that, but like I do think that because they are so compact and like trying to give us so much at once, they don't always get to everything immediately. And maybe, maybe this is something we'll see mm-hmm. more of. It's a good point. Which, you know, it doesn't cancel out the fact that what we've seen this thus far is inadequate. Mm-hmm. And also, like, you know, they're children's books. They can't deal with everything. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But the stuff that they deal with, they could do sometimes better. better. Yeah, for sure. Should we talk about the 90s moments? Yeah. Just Please. Suggest. So many. <laughs> they, I mean, chat rooms i feel like catfishing someone online now is a little bit like i feel like it was more of an established practice and that like it was almost expected in chat rooms in the mm-hmm. 90s which was not to say that it wasn't incredibly dangerous um, but it was like used for really bad things that you can make a joke out yes of it. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's true chat rooms definitely a thing um they also there were a number of sci-fi pop culture and sci-fi references mm-hmm. from the 90s uh-huh. just they just like list them. them all when she wakes up Yes, there is a... Right, in Helen's Airstream trailer. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. So many. 
Close Encounters of Third Kind, Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Wars of Various Kinds, and there's lots of X-Files. Mystery Science Theater 3000, which made me very happy. Nice. It's funny how many of those things are being rebooted, rebooted. now because yes. there's so uh-huh. much money in them mm-hmm. that it's like not even dated. I mean, it's not coincidence. Wait. It's millennial nostalgia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but just like this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so when's the Animorphs reboot happening? Come on. Netflix animated yeah. series. Animated. Yeah. It's got to be animated. I liked the line about Sweet Valley Horses. Mm. I was going to say that, yeah. Riffing on Sweet Valley Twins, right? Which is the one. Yeah. Yeah, that the one that they wrote identical for. Identical horses. Oh, um, yes, that's right. I forgot. They wrote yeah. for it. I also liked, um, after the horses start talking, Marco's like, oh, it's like we're in the, the Nick at Night zone or something. <laughs> and later the Animorphs are on Nick at Night in their uh, absolute Whoa, failure of a TV show. That's, wow, this is very meta. Yeah, it was oh. uh, Nick at Night and, and Mr. Ed. I liked how they were going on this trip to the gardens, these military people, and so they had a paper side-up sheet on the wall in the security office. That would never happen. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know. It happens for Girl Scout cookies. That's sort of true. But, like, you would just have an email list for the people at the base, and they would, like, sign up. There's also um, Noah Wiley from ER. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very sweet. And I particularly liked what phone numbers they had memorized. Mm. <laughs> what were they, Greg? Well, uh, one of them was Pizza Hut, uh-huh. as aforementioned. Rachel uh, gives the phone number for Pizza Hut, and Marco gives the number for the sports scoreboard recording. <laughs> right. I love that they have phone numbers memorized at all, because now uh-huh. the only number I know is my mother's. And that's because she had it before I got a cell phone. Yeah, yeah. I, I think... The only one I would have had memorized was my parents' home phone, which is what they were trying not to give them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but fortunately, you can just give one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like yeah. Cassie did. And, the um, fact that numbers, that phone numbers were seven digits long. At that yes, point. you didn't have to do the area code. I remember when that switched. Yeah, it was Me a too. big thing. It was very annoying. Yeah. And um, Marco calls Cassie Tyra Banks, or, or prettier yeah. than Tyra Banks. Um, also. <laughs> We learned in this book that Cassie thinks that Marco is woke. Sorry. <laughs> Wide awake. <laughs> Whatever that meant to Cassie at the time. You're probably not woke, because Marco really, really is Oh, not. I think that's the part that I interpreted as that he's sort of always on. Yes. That he's, like, always observing everything and thinking of the next joke. Yeah. 100% that's what it is. Yeah. It but, just but, really but, left yeah, off the yeah. page. It's like, that's not something you would say anymore. <laughs> Different meaning. Just like, just like hooked up. <laughs> hooked up before school, and then she put my clothes on me. <laughs> Question is, was she in her Rachel morph at the time? <laughs> that depends what kind of fan fiction we feel like writing. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of animals, which I guess we were. So, I was wondering, this thing where we've seen it, we saw it in book two when Rachel morphed the cat and met the same cat. And now we see it where Cassie morphs the horse, which... Incidentally, it was a really dumb thing to morph. She should have morphed fly. Or morph the other horse you have. (laughs) True. But she morphs the horse, and the the real horse, like, doesn't register her as, like, even existing because, like, the horse that smells the same as me, that's not even a real thing. So I was like, are there never identical animals? Like, I know a lot of animals have, like, litters or, you know, multiple Mm. births, but are there never animals that, like, you know, are twins the way humans have identical twins? So I looked it up. And according to a BBC article from 2016, non-identical multiples are very common in many species. Mm -hmm. However, identical offspring are believed to be extremely rare. 
The exception is ourselves, humans, and nine-banded armadillos. I like how I clarified humans just to make sure you know that I am one. Yeah. Um, Daddy who is definitely a human. Definitely a he- real human 100%. being. 100%. Not an android, just for the record. Uh, yeah, nine-banded armadillos, which give birth to identical quadruplets. Whoa. Aren't they Dude. also the only animal that can ha- get... Leprosy or something else? It's like humans I did not know that. Wow. I think it's I'm learning so much about armadillos. Do today. human identical twins smell the same? I don't know. I was sort of assuming that, like, you know, absent the environmental stuff, which would be different for this horse that she just morphed, right. like, there's some sort of underlying, like, genetic. I mean, I think that your, your sort of sweat and um, pheromones would be the same because your DNA is the same. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just, I wonder how much of that. I just spent like the weekend epi- with identical twins and I didn't think to but smell I, them. Right. I wonder how much is epigenetic and how much, you yeah. know, like, know. how yeah. quickly does I your mean, smell diverge? Yeah. I think a lot of it's based on what you eat, right? Exactly. So, yeah. You know. So when, when Cassie are, morphs this horse based on DNA, is its smell actually identical? Because the book she says, hasn't been eating anything. Yeah. Does that mean you're very likely to be attracted to? the other identical twin person based on their pheromones as well. So if you're attracted same, to one, if you're attracted, attracted to one, the other. attracted um, to the other. You know, I, I don't know. No one's ever had a crush on a twin and smelled the <laughs> other twin. <laughs> you know, I have never had a crush on a twin. I haven't known that no, many twins. I don't think I have How many people have you intentionally smelled? <laughs> Not that many. <laughs> well, I've been missing out on a vast swath mm-hmm. of life. So my question about the scene where she morphs the horse mm-hmm. is, they were in a stall <laughs> earlier, and it was too small for five of them, five children. And an antelope. And an antelope. Antelites are, you know, antelites are big. Okay. But it was big enough <laughs> for two fully grown horses. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, is, didn't she, like, have to leave the stall? Like, didn't she have she to leave the stall after oh, she fully is fully morphed? Yes. And... Couple other things about that scene, just while we're pointing out, this was dumb. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! I think Minnesota Max's owner might have paid for a bigger stall. I think it was Minneapolis Max. Minneapolis Max. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sorry, <laughs> listeners in Minneapolis, please write in <laughs> and complain, so I know you're out there. Tell us all about your love. I used to live very close to Minneapolis, so I'm very offended. I can just represent them all right now. Mm-hmm. Well, as we know, famously, Minneapolis Max, one of the best racehorses of all time. I've certainly heard of him. Mm-hmm. Even people who aren't into racing. No, the other other dumb things about this plan. Mm-hmm. One. Uh, so she gets out. Uh, she, fully grown horse. Maybe it's a double stall. Fine, it's probably not, but whatever. She somehow manages to open the stall, which... As a horse. Which as horses horse. should not be able to do. Even if you know even how... Even with a human brain. Right. Even if you know how doors work. They're deadbolts most of the time. Yeah, and probably on the outside? Yes. So yeah. she, she reaches Reached over, over with, with her, her mouth. Her powerful horse lips. Yeah, <laughs> and and, and the stall low enough that you could do that? Okay. Fine. Whatever. Depends on the stall. Doesn't matter. Then, in the confusion, somehow they catch her, saddle her, and get her into the racing stall without noticing, <laughs> noticing that there's the, another Minneapolis Well, Max. someone Minneapolis does say, Max. hey, there's another one. <laughs> But Hinkley shuts him down. Better listen to the people who work for you, Hinkley. No. True story. But, you know, the horse won, so he doesn't have to learn that lesson. Yeah. Winning was also Well, and then she won, and then I was like, um, how did this horse that just won the race disappear somewhere? (laughs) 
Just like find a moment to sneak away. Yeah. Because the ending of that scene, usually at the end of a caper, they they've often done that thing where there's like, We did we did this and then we cut away and now we're kind of talking about it afterwards. Which is what they do here. Except they do it so it's so sudden. She's like, I won the race. And then the next day we were at the mall. I was like, excuse you. What? How did you get out of there? What happened to the real Minneapolis, Max? Where did that the rest of them And, and the rest of them had acquired in. horses in the meantime. Yeah, it reminds me of that bit in the first book when uh, Jake and Marco almost get eaten in the tiger cage. And then they, yes! run, into the, they run into the other animals and they're like, what took you so long? <laughs> they like don't respect what they've been through at all. It's the same thing. Ridiculous. Speaking of working at a horses. Yeah. I would love to get your thoughts yeah. on comparison to Wild Magic. Yes. So um, so how does changing into animals work in Wild Magic? Okay. Yeah. So there are very different rules. Have any of you read these books? I Great. read them a long time ago. Okay. So I think I have but read only once. a couple of them. Cool. So they're set in the same world, same universe as um, the Alana books, mm-hmm. but with a different kind of magic. So the main character has what's called Wild Magic which is um, in the world, in the universe, uh, most mages like don't believe in it because mm. it's, it doesn't like That's show awesome. up on their tests um, and it can't be like controlled in the normal ways and schooled and stuff. And it's not super common. Um, so most people who have it are like good with animals, but like it's not a big deal. Um, and then the main character spoiler alert um turns out to be the daughter of a goddess so of she's, course, yeah. so that's like how she ha- she has like a ton of this magic mm-hmm. um and so she has to learn to control it but like nobody no even can teach can her, her. Teach her. Oh, no. yeah so um basically what she does to learn about it is like learn all the real world science about animals oh. and then like and and do a ton of meditation because in the universe of tomorrow Pierce meditation is the best thing ever i love and magical that's amazing it's magical yes so it like organizes your brain um which it kind of does um and so she like is learning about animals so she has this beautiful anatomy book that's like spelled again like it's got it's got magic on it so it doesn't get ripped and torn and i love that oh that's great Um, uh so she learns first she learns like animal anatomy um, and then she starts to learn um, to communicate with them. She's like always talked to them and then kind of understood mm-hmm. what they said back, but she always spoke out loud. And then she like learns to do it through mind speaking with animals. Um, and then she, um, from there, she learns to essentially project her mind into an animal. Um, and so she'll like go flying as a bat and and she can like talk to the bat and see what it's seeing but her body is like left at home Mm. and then as she's doing that she starts discovering that when she comes back to her body there's some weird stuff going on Mm. so like the first time she was in like some kind of rodent and then her nose itches when she is coming back to herself and um, r- rubbing the tip of her itchy nose until it was pink. Coarse dark hairs fell off into her lap. <gasps> Where had they come from? Whoa! <laughs> and then she just like moves on. <laughs> so it's sort of this very gradual. So it's like, very gradual. Marks. They're like increasing. <clears throat> yeah. So like I marked like five or six times. Basically, this entire book, the second book, um, she's like gra- gradually more and more. Mm-hmm morphing and she doesn't really know what's going on and she's very confused and then finally the the badger god who's her like godfather um nice. comes and tells her like dude 
pay attention. <laughs> I would try to teach you. So it's like all the animorphs were like, I don't know, this weird thing happened, but it probably wasn't important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kids, she kind of thinks it's important, but she's like, I've got bigger things to worry about. Um, Even if you think it's important, what do you do about it? Yeah, exactly. So then she, um, towards the end of the book, she finally like um, morphs, fully morphs a wolf. They don't um, use that word though, probably, right? They don't use that word, sorry. She, I don't know, transforms, she, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, um, and they don't really describe it um, because, as we've learned from Animorphs, it's gross. It's <laughs> um, just really extensive in these in Animorphs books. Mm-hmm. We're saying this is all just, yeah. Yeah, this her. one, um, she's really tired because she's already gone through a whole battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this whole thing about being immersed in cold water is like, um, reinvigorates your magic. Oh, cool. So she basically goes into a lake and then... Her muscles screamed, then she was out and leaping up the steps to the dock. At the top, something tugged at her middle, a rope tied much too loosely. She didn't need that anymore. Wriggling out of it, she paused and shook out her fur, ridding herself of what found, oh, so felt like, like pounds of water, then looked saying. for the wolves. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Um, neat. Yeah. And then she morphs, when, not morphs, when she transforms yeah. back, she doesn't have any clothes, and that's like an ongoing thing. Ah, uh, yeah. So she doesn't um, have the skin tight. She does not have skin tight morphing outfits, although she does have this um, badger claw that's like her connection to the badger god, oh. and that's the only thing that changes cool. with her uh, and stays with nice. her. Nice. And in the, third, in the fourth book, I think she actually uses it as a weapon. Oh, pretty cool. Does she <clears> have a time limit? She does not have a time limit, but she does have um, reserves of energy. So mm. essentially, her magic gets drained the same as like Regular so it energy. takes energy to be in the animal body? Mm, uh, yes, although I think it's also just like she's usually when she's... She's doing stuff. Cha- changing, she's doing stuff, okay. yeah. That's um, interesting because like in these books it's very much like morphing is tiring. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. being in the morphed body is not in itself tiring, which maybe it also isn't in this. I don't... Yeah, I think it's the morphing is the tiring part and then whatever she's doing in it. Um, There's a thing if I remember that's about how it uses up magic reserves being slightly different from yes. the use of the more traditional magic abilities mm-hmm. in this universe, which are more easily exhaustible. So if you use your magical gifts, often you get drained of mm-hmm. your magic, mm-hmm. and you can actually drain your entire life force by doing that. Ooh. Yeah, and with wild magic, it's slightly different. So mm-hmm. it it's harder to drain yourself. It's still tiring, but it's not the same kind of tiring as using the gift. Yeah, and she also um, can sometimes, like animals, her friend, her friends, the animals, can like give her their magic sometimes, Ooh. which is cool. That's very, um, like, I feel like we see some of that kind of thing with Cassie in mm-hmm. in Orf's books, like right. the whole, like, it's like the whole earth is supporting us, and like the whale will give her like hope and like actual information. Yeah. Whales are very wise in these terms. Oh, good. Um, yeah, she also uh, heals animals. So there are really cool descriptions. Like her, Cassie. Like, yeah. In a different way, though. Cassie's but in a magical like, way. Yeah. There are like, descriptions of her like knitting together like muscle and cool. and bone and stuff. Cassie definitely loved these books. Yeah. Oh, for sure. They're yeah. also both women of color. Yeah. Mm. Oh, is Dan? Who she's supposed to be. Okay, cool. Does she, does she experience the animals' minds when she changes into one? So not as much. She experiences okay. their senses. And uh-huh. when she's during the time before she learns to fully transform herself, when she's like sharing their brains, then she like can communicate with them and experiences their experiences of things. So like mm-hmm. at one point she's um, 
in a squirrel and it's getting dark out and the squirrel is really freaked out um, because the squirrel doesn't like the dark, but she's like, no, we really have to finish this thing. Just work through the fear, please. Like, I need you to do this. Um, Wait, is this when she still has her own body, but like is in a squirrel? mm -hmm, Okay. So then that's more maybe like what it's like. Yeah. That's pretty similar, I think. Um, And her body is kind of in sea space. <laughs> Except usually she puts it in a cave and like has her dragon so friend in guard her. Space. She cool. has a dragon, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, so, uh, so they don't talk about sea space. They don't talk about sea space. I know, such an oversight. Yeah, okay, um, but it was probably it was probably in effect there. Yeah, they just don't mention. Yeah, it. yeah, obviously they hadn't studied it yet. Yeah, these books. Um, so towards the end, at the at the very end, she has learned. She's like got enough skill to morph like different parts of different animals so in the like final battle she like gives herself like the speed of an eagle and the eyes of a something else and then she like morphs a human voice box so that she can talk to it's like really cool and i want the animals to learn how to do i feel like cassie might be good enough i feel like we should see cassie do this because we know that they can do do the Frolis maneuver to yes. combine DNA. DNA of the same species. Oh, so yeah. maybe a really powerful huh, morpher. Really, yeah, skilled estrine. Right, a really skilled estrine would be able to do it across species. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should see so, that. You know, I'm looking the, forward to it. The eyes of a fly, the wings of a cockroach, <laughs> oh. the body of a snake, like, and the legs of an ant. The worst. <laughs> um, the last thing. So she doesn't have a time limit on her morphing. But um, in the first book, what she does have is she thinks she has gone insane. So she grew up in this small town in the mountains, and obviously no one had heard of wild magic. And um, her family are killed by bandits Mm. um, or raiders or something. Um, And she basically, like, runs into the mountains and gets taken in by this wolf pack and then, like, starts to think that she's a wolf. Oh. And... Then she um, eventually comes out of it and, like, remembers how to walk on two legs and stuff. Um, And then refers to that period in her past as, like, the madness. Um, And she has this fear. And then it starts to happen again with um, the wild horses that she works with. Um, Mm -hmm. And she'll, like, be meditating and suddenly, like, think that she's a horse. And she'll, like, try to run with them and, like, run away from her her life and her mind. Um, and That's it turns really out uh, that it's it's a little bit hand wavy. There's like kind of a easy solution where it's like her magic is so strong that it's like bleeding into her life force and, and there's mm. no like barrier between them. Um, and then her magic teacher just has to like come in and like draw a little magic circle around her life force and it's like hand wavy oh you're you're not gonna go but that's like tobias losing himself to the hawk mind in book three (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's sort of similar to that so i loved these books a lot even though they're some (sighs) definitely problematic stuff including a age difference romance i remember yeah Yeah. that's very sweet but also very inappropriate (laughs) i love it i still love it i also recognize the ways in which it me up. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> that's yeah. That's that's very not great. True. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, how did reading Animorphs compare to this? I think for me, the world building of Animorphs, it's done a little bit piecemeal, and mm-hmm. I always want more of that because yeah. I was much more used to reading fantasy, which especially you like have these to books set the whole world. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and in part because they're set in space and, the, you know, these ones are like on Earth and then there's some space travel, whereas the fantasy is a whole other world. But what did you think of the comparison between the two worlds? Yeah, um, I think I felt similarly. There were a lot of times, even in just reading this very silly book, when I was like, I'm super confused. <laughs> like this book that seems to find the need to explain to me what meds are. And Which, other to be fair, I did things. not know okay. when I was reading this when I was 13. Okay. I was like, oh, this weird like lingo that they have for like medications. <laughs> but they explain it every time? It was weird. It's only been twice. Only twice, okay. Yeah. But then like when the bug fighter came in, no explanation at all. I was oh, like, yeah, is this we've other just seen aliens? Them so many times. Yeah. I guess. But they aren't that well explained. But they everything it's else true. is explained every time. Like the you get introduced to all the characters every time. It's like true. Yeah. I don't know. That that felt strange to me. Um so I think as Gray was saying, it just felt sort of piecemeal of like what needed explanation and what didn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know, I tend to like things where I can imagine a a whole different world rather than trying to like imagine a layer of sci-fi on top of the world that I know. Oh, see, I love a layer of sci-fi on top Mm -hmm. of it. I love the juxtaposition of like the actual normal real stuff, but then there's this other stuff that also exists. I also love like slight AUs, like alternate universes Mm -hmm. of our world where like everything's the same, but there's this one other thing and it interacts with all the normal things and like changes them. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's like my, that's my preferred thing, but people are different. Yeah. I will also say my, part of my issue is I have a much more difficult time suspending disbelief with the Animorphs for certain things. So Mm -hmm. I think, as I've mentioned before, I think the concept that they morph into animals is more of a fantasy concept than a sci-fi concept Mm -hmm. because magic technical box has Mm -hmm. so far not reappeared. Um, it doesn't We've need got to. the computers. It already but... changed their bodies, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that part it doesn't bother me. But then it's the like, and now we're fighting this war, and our tactics are very stupid. And my ability to suspend that stuff is harder. Yeah. Is harder. Yeah. Because yeah. that's not part of the premise that they're just all bad at planning. Like, right. No. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is part of the premise that they're thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> but the Yurks aren't thirteen. Right. This is a quick tangent into things that the Yurks aren't good at. Apparently, the reason they know about Zone Ninety One is because they have technology that can detect the presence of <laughs> any alien alloys. Yes. Yeah. And to your point about the morphing cube, if it is still exists, the Yurk should be able to find it because it's made right. out of some kind of alien. Not to mention the time matrix, time matrix. <gasps> which has been... What? Very Wait a second. Okay, That's okay. a huge problem. But probably they can't detect different alloys if they're underground. I'm just going to say uh, that. No. Uh, you know what? And then... All right, <laughs> yeah. so... Let the record state that we will call out any future plot holes in these books where there are oh. non-underground alien technologies the Yorks haven't found on Earth. Good. Yes, good point. Maybe the time matrix can cloak itself. Uh, yeah, and I mean... In time. I'll yes. miss out. Yeah. Like blanket of time. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. It's warm and cozy. Mm-hmm. So I think we should talk about the next book. I also think we should thank Kevin, our wonderful friend and listener who made us the best thing I've ever received. He made us each a t-shirt, which we will post a picture of on Twitter because they're great. And uh, on the back, it has the Animorphology logo. And the front, it has a picture of Elfengor, and it says, I'm dying, take my MacGuffin. And he heard me in book one say that I wanted the shirt. And he made them for us. I love it so much. It's They're so wonderful. great. I've been wearing it around in public, just <laughs> waiting for a listener to come up and say, I love animorphology. 
Someday. We'll Someday it will now. happen. It's the dream. They are wonderful shirts, and we're very grateful to Kevin, and we will post a picture of ourselves. Kevin, come on the podcast. Yeah. yeah We'd love seriously. to have you. Do it. One one last thing. Okay. A shout out to my favorite character in this book, the uh-huh. fox in Cassie's barn. Ah, who first yes. watches them turn into birds and stares at them with hungry, glittering eyes. Yeah. And then later, Cassie needs it to take its meds, so she blows on its nose to make it swallow, <laughs> which is the cutest fact I have learned about an animal yeah. from the Animorphs books. I love it so much. This fox is great. I hope I it hope, doesn't eat Tobias. I hope that, I know. <laughs> I hope that the fox is like, before you all turn it to birds. I'm just waiting for it to happen again. Yeah. <laughs> so the next book. Okay, Escape. So the Escape. The next book is The Escape. It is a marker book. Tell us about the cover. I want to see. This is what the cover looks like. It is Marco. Oh, no. <laughs> Thank you. Thank but you Look at that middle here. picture. It's so good. <laughs> that... The middle one is actually fine. The second one is horrifying. The second one is very, very bad. He looks like, bad. I don't know, some sort of simulated video game yeah. character. Please look in at his legs in the second one. Yeah. They're just kind of wavy. It's terrible. It's a fun thing. Not, not no, so it's good. Not great. Did we say what he's morphing into yet? Did we say what he's morphing into yet? He's morphing yet? into a hammerhead shark. Cool. All right. I imagine the descriptions of this are going to be yes. truly dreadful. Because we did not talk much about the morphs in book 14. Um, but they were gross, mm-hmm. and there was a whole thing about Cassie's eyes moving to the side of her mm-hmm. head, and her nose growing so big it took her mouth along with it. Gross. Um, yeah, lots of icky morphs, and I imagine that the next one is going to have another description of face widening, <laughs> eyes moving. Well, it would have to, to become a hammer and shark. What does the little text say? And the little text says, the yerks are out there. Well, that's very helpful. As always. That tells us new information about the plot of this book. The title and the cut text, both super helpful. Maybe that means that the Yerks um, are going to accidentally get ejected from everyone's brains, and that's why they're (gasps) out there. Um, Maybe. Uh, (laughs) I feel like probably not. And Marco needs to escape into the ocean. Okay. Uh, The whale is going to come back in this one. Okay. Mm-hmm. The same whale? Same whale. Okay. Yep. And uh, and this time, um, Marco's going to learn about hope from the whale instead of Cassie. Oh, Marco needs to learn about hope. I think what, that the major driving part of this plot is going to be Marco's mom. <gasps> I think that out there means in space. Ooh. And that somehow they're going to figure out a way to contact or to cause some sort of conflict between Mr. One this or three or there's going to be a conflict that they're learning more about or something mm-hmm. i think marcus mom comes back in this one and okay. what happens to viscer one and uh viscer one comes back messes with viscer three's head a little more mm-hmm. and then goes back out to space okay how, do, how does the shark come into it uh that's how they're going to spy on mr one's spaceship mr one's spaceship is in the sea yeah sure Okay. Most of the planet is sea. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, you <laughs> off the water, whatever. Okay, so her spaceship's in the water, like, floating. Or, yeah, somewhere. Okay. And they have to go spy, and so Marco turns into a shark to see if he can learn more about their plans, and okay, to see his mom. All right. I, I love it when yeah. your predictions have a lot of really specific, concrete facts in them. Thank you. <laughs> I know, because then it's so much fun when I'm like, they definitely don't use the time matrix. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns they never out. used the time matrix. Nope, never happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
All right, that's my prediction. Yeah. Well, Margo, it's been so much fun having you. Thanks for coming. Great being here. Thank you for having me. My first podcast guest starring moment. Your podcast debut. Yeah. Hopefully the first of many. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to discussing the next one, The Escape, next time on Animorphology. If you want to find us, we are at Animorphology.com and at Animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Animorphs ebooks on our website. He won the Triple Crown in 1997. Wait, this is a real horse? No. No. (laughs) No, Could we leave that in, please? Yeah.